0: Well, we are in our third week of our arrow Smith series. And no, this is not the band. We already covered that first week of what it would have looked like if we had gone the band route. And um, this, is, uh, this is about the concept of a smith as someone who makes something. an arrow is obviously some, something that can be made. And uh, so the, this is a, one who crafts an arrow and the whole concept of this is looking at our roles as parents, as grandparents, and then honestly as the church in the in the whole of having an impact on the next generation cuz each of us are called to make an eternal impact on <coughs> the next generation if you have your notes open you have you version available then I will go ahead and get into that God's plan has always been, always, has always been for his love to cascade from one generation to the next. Whether it was with back with Abraham and and Isaac and all of those in the Old Testament, everyone was commanded them to remind and to teach your kids and to tell them the wondrous deeds of the Lord and, and what God has done. We're always supposed to have that cascade forward. It's supposed to be one generation connecting and impacting and sharing the love of God with the next generation. Guess what? That's how you heard about it. 2,000 years worth of a bunch of little generations all got put together and it made it to you and me. This truth started on the other side of the planet 2,000 years ago and here we are talking about the relevance of what Jesus Christ did all that time ago and how relevant it is to our lives today and changes everything. It completely changes everything. And we did that because somebody poured that love from one to the next. And I don't know about you, but I made the decision a long time ago I was not going to be a dead end. Somebody poured the love of God into me and I want to make sure I pour it forward into the next generation. And I love seeing it even within my own household. I've shared with y'all before about my son Keenan teaching teaching Weston when he was real little how to be a man of God and teaching him to worship and and um, I had my caught my kids praying with each other on different occasions and and uh, uh, one of them leading the other one to to the Lord and it's just been this awesome thing. Well, recently, Carson, who his brother Keenan. Had prayed with him when he was little to receive Christ there in his bedroom. Then here's Carson at 12 years old, and here's his little sister. Sorry, he's not 12. That's he's 11. I'm getting ahead of myself. At 11 years old, with his little two-year-old sister, and so he is. We're all in our bedroom getting ready. It's normal Clark hubbub stuff happening, and I overhear Carson with Colin. And trying to teach her that God is her father. So, pretty big concept for a two-year-old. Well, she bowed up against it. He's like, Daddy is my father. And he's like, ah. And he's trying to explain our connection with Father God and with Jesus. And all of these different things. And finally, I'm just about going over there to, to, to step in and say, Carson, this is... This is a little bit heavy concept for a two-year-old, okay? I'm excited. He wants to pour into the next generation. He's going to pour into his little sister. And man, and finally Colin just bows up. and She looks at him. She says, Daddy is my Jesus. And I was like, well, yeah, no. How do we roll with this? Because the truth is, is that we are called to be the hands and feet. Of Jesus in every uh, avenue. And that so many times our, our lives are impacted in how we deal with our heavenly father. My gosh it's tainted by how we dealt with our earthly father. And there was just this immediate reminder. Of my gosh the first Jesus. My little girl can come in contact. Can be manifested through me. What a privilege, what an awesome opportunity. That is you and I as the body of Christ. We get to do that. How wonderful is it over in our nursery right now that somebody has the opportunity to be with our little ones and that may be the time when that scripture clicks in their mind and all of a sudden an awareness that there's there's a God, that, that they're loved and they're cared for. Or next door in that theater theater 7. That they're being taught these concepts. What an awesome opportunity to do that. For us to pour into our own children. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to jump into 15. It says, even if you had 10,000 guardians. Or a lot of translations say teachers in Christ. You do not have many fathers. It's not simply being an instructor. God's not just trying to get us to all be a bunch of instructors and a bunch of teachers. There's this different level of love and commitment when we're willing to step in and allow the Father heart of God to be expressed in someone's life. Is there instruction part of that? Absolutely. But it's not just this distant deal of here's what's expected, you better do it. No, it's this. I'm, I'm invested. I'm a part of this. That's why it says you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Paul was an unmarried man. Never married. But yet because of his embrace of the role of father, then he references T- Timothy as his son. He references Titus as his son. He references all these different people as his son in the faith. Do we have to have biological children to to pour in and be fathers? No. Should we do that for our biological children? Absolutely. But it shouldn't end there. We're called as a church to express the Father heart of God. Therefore, he makes this incredible statement. Which brings Colin's sweet little comment and punches me right between the eyes. And Paul dares to say, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Oh my gosh, Paul. You are so bold. I would say, man, y'all need to imitate Jesus. Jesus. Here, let's hold up the picture of who Jesus is. And Paul says, I am working to follow Christ the best of my can, so go ahead and imitate me. Guess what? You know how our kids are going to imitate? They're going to imitate us anyways. You know who Colin is going to do things like? Me and her Mother. She certainly has the sassiness, that's for certain. For this reason, I sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. See, the Corinthians are getting Paul's teaching through Timothy. So here Paul has taught Timothy. And now it's going to cascade down from Timothy into this Corinthian church. And it's not just Timothy. It's Timothy whom he loves. It is this heart of love being poured from one person into the next person. Paul tells Timothy in another place. He says, Teach faithful men who will teach others also. We talked about this the first week. There's this cascading effect. There's this this awesome piece, and I'm so excited. We just dropped Keenan off at school. Yesterday evening, he goes to tryouts for a worship team. That there were a new church is being launched in Roy City. That's part of the church organization we support. Arc. It's one of our missions. And the pastor for that church is a guy named Brian Sparks, who was in my youth group years ago. And so, and I was one that I had a school of ministry for the youth, and I poured into Brian. All these years later, my son is there, being sitting in his, list, spent all day yesterday evening in Brian's living room, being poured into by Brian. What an amazing thing! I never dreamed that it would end up as I pour into one that they'd end up pouring into my own children. We don't know what all God has in store, but man, I'm telling you, it is this beautiful thing is we are willing to pour into and make a difference. We have to be willing to do that. See, if you want to stay full, then get involved with pouring into the next generation. I tell you what, anybody, any of the adult people that went to youth camp, any of the workers, I tell you what, those, they came back as pumped and as full as anybody that were any of the youth, you go to kids camp, man, you're tired when you come back, but your spirit is full of just and being a part of watching these young kids being impacted. Psalms 127, verse three through five says, "Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring of reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are children born in one's youth, blessed." Is the man whose quiver is full of them. Man, as a, as a church, as a, as a body of believers, we want to have just kids being impacted in a part, just full of, of kids. It's okay. People tell me all the time, on the way out, I'm so sorry that my kid was crying in church. I'm like, Are you kidding? You had your kid in church. I'll just preach louder. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Some churches, man, they have a deacon come and usher you out and get you out of here. I'm like, are you kidding? We kick a kid out of church? My goodness, no. Let's, we, they can cry. They can squirm. Man, I had a kid doing like handstands on that pole one time. Man, I'm so glad he was here. That we've got to be willing to do that. We want it full. You know what? When your house is full of kids, trust me, there's a little mess. It's a little loud. And there's constantly something having to be dealt with. But my goodness, I would rather have that than everything in place and orderly and and nothing nothing out of place. We want it there. We want it full. See, our core objective is not to produce religious adherence. Here at Celebration Church, that is not our core objective. Is to get everybody to adhere to these religious things just as good as we possibly can. That's not what we're here for. We're here to help mature God's sons and daughters. That's what this is about. That's what you and I are. See, Romans 8, 19 says, For the creation of... Awaits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Even the earth is ready for the children of God to step up and be revealed. It's not that the, the earth is ready for the disciples of God to be revealed. They're all everybody to do everything just right to be revealed. It's the ones who will have a heart to call him Papa. So many times, if we'd have the wrong mentality, think, well, man, we're, we're, God's in the, in the job of, of raising up workers for the mission field. Mm, will we work? Will we sh- impact people? Absolutely. God's in the middle of making an army. God's building an army. Man, will, will we be mobilized? Will we go out? Will we make a difference in this kingdom? Absolutely. Well, God's, God's in the business of, 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 well, we see all this scripture of, of him sowing seed and, and all this. Well, you know, God must be a farmer. There's all sorts of illusions, whether it's the military illusion or, or the working illusion or even the farming illusion. But we weren't, we weren't taught to pray our farmer who art in heaven. We weren't prayed. Our boss... Since we're workers who aren't in heaven, our great general commander, we were taught to pray our father. Our father. And if we forget that God's in the son's and daughter's business, we're going to go about kingdom business all wrong. We're going to go about it all wrong. A boss treats people different. When they're just people who are supposed to get a job done different than when they're their kids. A military commander treats people different when it's somebody who's just got to take a heel than when it's their kids. He is in the middle of raising up sons and daughters. Let's look at just quickly. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. We all know that one. But let's also remember Romans eight twenty nine, which then on the other side of the cross references Jesus as the firstborn among many brethren. Well, what is he? Is he the only begotten? Yep, when John 3, 16 was said, he was it. But Romans 8, 29 is written, he's the firstborn among many brethren because because of what he did, you and I can be born fresh as the daughters and sons, the children of God. That is what he's raising up. So Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's part of what this Aerosmith thing, this helping craft is all about. But we need to see this in its full light. Because so many times we'll say, well, here's this little narrow place of how you've got to be we got to make sure you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Which there are some principles that are there. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But let's look at the amplified version, which really gets into the, the Hebrew meaning of this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go and, and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. The way a child is bent. That's why we ca- talk this it's subtitled bending the bow because so many times we want to take the way God has crafted somebody and go I don't really like that I think you need to be this man I had a wonderful conversation with a guy who pastors a great church in Augusta Georgia while we were traveling back in 08 I had all of us in our motor home and I'm interviewing pastors and anyways this thing with kids comes up and um he had quite a few kids and I at that point we had five and um so we are uh, talking about it, and, and um, he's like, well, so your kid's going to be ministers? And I'm like, well, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, you know, I, I don't force them into it. He's like, you need to be teaching them to be ministers. I was like, now wait a second. I, I, I want them to do what God's called them to do. But I believe that there are people who are called and anointed on so many walks of life, and we're all called to be ministers, whether it's our vocation or not. And so we had a nice little friendly disagreement on this. Well, my oldest son's off at Bible school, and he's excited about that. My other, most of my other kids have a bent towards ministry, and I'm excited about that. But I never one time said, you know what? I want you to be a pastor when you grow up. I want you to be I'm like, man, I want you to love God. I want you to love people. I want you to serve him, and you're going to make a difference in, <clears throat> in, your, in your generation, and your life, and however God has wired you for that, if that's slamming two by fours together and building something for the kingdom or whatever it is then man I want you to step into that because of the way that they are bent see God has a unique plan for each life we each have individual skills and passions each of us that's why we're all different you know there are core things that are all the same and I love it we go well there's you know every snowflake is different isn't that awesome? Even every grain of sand is a little different. And you're like, well, man, was this? Just God do everything absolutely different? He can't cookie-cutter anything? Sure he can cookie-cutter things. All the oxygen molecules we bring, they're all identical. You can't tell them suckers apart. They're identical. There's tons of things. The core things that there are, boom, they're just the same. But then he begins to take these core building blocks and build individuals out of them. Why? Because we have an individual assignment. We have this different call on our lives. And we can't say, well, if you're going to be this, and you have to do everything exactly like this. Will it violate the core principles of the word? Never. But you have freedom to be who God created you to be? Absolutely. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God's plans are good. God's plans are empowering. God's plans produce this thing where there are grown results, where things are better on the back end than they were on the front end. That's what prosper means. If anything prospers, it's better at the end than it was at the beginning. If your money prospers, you got more of it at the end. If your love prospers, you got more of it at the end. Any of that. It, just, it, it gets better. He's got a plan to make life better at the end as you move forward. See, Matthew 25, verse 14 says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold. Okay to another he gave two bags of gold. God? What's this? I thought you were kind of cool and fair and stuff. You give this one guy five bags, and all of a sudden you give this other guy two bags. And to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on a journey and let let him take care of business. Empowered him. He trusted him. Gave him some authority. But each one based on their ability. All of our overall sense of fairness, like, well, man, well, this is out of whack. We'd step in and go, okay, well, we need to divide this gold up and kind of make it even here. Something kind of went off kilter. No, that's the way it's supposed to be. And then we go through, and sure enough, who's the one that blows it? The one with five bags? Nope. The one with two bags? Nope. The one with one bag. He's the one that blows it in the story. We're each there, and man, just what we can't do is fall into this concept of being comparison and getting prideful. Well, I'm a five-bag guy. Man, one day maybe you two-baggers will be some five-baggers. That's comparison, that's haughtiness, that's pride, that's moronic. We can't do that. See, Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles... That's some, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach maturity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of what the fullness of Christ. We're all still growing in this process. And there are some who are gifted in this way and others that are gifted in this way to equip all of us to have our unique influence on the body of Christ so that we all grow up. And who's growing up? The apostles are growing up. The prophets are growing up. The pastors are growing up. All of us are growing up. We're all benefiting from this. Everybody is. And we're all wired a little different. I know that my wife and I, we're both wired very different on some things. We talk about that we're the same weird on a number of things, that we go together because we're the same weird. And so, but on other things, we're different. And like she was talking about earlier, that she notices, you know, and she was like telling Randy, you need to find two seats over here and you need to do this. She notices stuff. We were at Cracker Barrel yesterday. One of the ladies comes running out, one of the waitresses comes running out of Cracker Barrel and has somebody's bag. And it's like, oh, I think they left. And my wife is standing right beside me. She goes, no, they're over there in the corner. That's creepy, woman. Why did you know that bag went with those people? That's weird. But she just notices stuff and she's kind of hungry and she's like, I just, I, I notice too many things. And so, but we'll, she'll get mad at me on different things because I don't notice certain things. And she's like, I just don't get how you don't see it. I'm like, I don't get how you take it all in. I would just be stuck. If my brain was taking all that in, I'd be able to move. It'd just be on information overload. And be, take it away, take it away. And she just moves through life and all this stuff. And I guarantee you, man, if it was just me, those people would have left without their bag because that lady didn't see them. Well, here comes. Cutie. Oh, they're over there. And sure enough, oh, thank you for the bag. We forgot it. But we've had multiple little arguments about stuff because she's like, I just don't get how you don't understand this or get it or see it. And I'm like, I just don't get how you do, so... Uh, I'm so thankful that that's your job. So now in our household, you, you kind of run that, you run point on that. So when she notices something, I run with it. She's like, I really think we need to handle this. All right. You're better noticeer notice her on that kind of stuff than me. So we're gifted. It balances us out. I made it up. Thank you. <laughs> Romans 12 says, for just... <clears throat> For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ Jesus, we many from one body, each members belong to the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in according with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage... <clears throat> If encouragement, then give encouragement. If giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. So here's all of these different things. And it reminds us that when it's all said and done, it should be done cheerfully. See, it's not enough that we give our children permission to truly live in Christ. But we also must not saddle them with our preferences. But in, yes, uh, that was my mistake. My notes say encourage as well. I'm making up all sorts of words this week. And encourage them to live the life God created them to live. See, the truth is, is preferences are just that. They're preferences. Obviously, here at our church, we're casual. Does that mean that that's the right way to do church? No. It just means that there are some people who don't, their life, they don't keep fancy clothes in their closet. They just have one kind of clothes, the clothes they wear. So guess what? We do church where whatever's in your closet, put it on and come on. And that's just the way we do, to an extent, that's common, common (laughs) decency. Yes. You know, and that we, we, you know, we have more of a rock and roll feel, and that's our preference. And it's not that people that don't, that they're doing it wrong. Or that people that love acapella and don't have instruments are doing it wrong. Or any of those different things. It's our preference. It's the way we enjoy connecting in our worship. And so what we have to make sure is that when it comes to our preference, that we don't shove our preferences down the next generation. We give them the principles of who Christ is and we let them go. And you know what, man, I'm telling you, they'll do things we never dreamed of. One of my favorite things that I loved, Truett Randolph, he was over here all the time. And may I tell you what, man, 80-something years old and just worshiping, just worshiping God. Well, he'd been a worship leader for years and years back when. And God had told him that there was going to come a day when he really didn't like the music. And guess what? I was around when that shift happened. And he talked to me about it. And he, he, it was just a one little short place of tension for him. And man, and he fixed it and all was good. And man, and he would just worship. And I love Nat's story that Nat was up here and he saw Truett and Truett would do this number. He would just just bounce and he's just all over the place. And uh, Nat went up to him after service and he said, I just love how you love our worship. Truett, oh, how wonderful, honest man he is. It's like, I hate it. (laughs) He didn't like our music at all. But he was part of our church from the very beginning, and he just worshipped. He just did his own thing. He's like, I'm so glad all these people like it. I don't have to like it. I've been walking with God a long time. I'm just going to worship however I want to worship. And he was standing over there. Who knows what song that man was singing. <laughs> He's probably making one up or something. I don't know. But, man, if all of us could be that generous, that generous with our church, And, you know, there's going to come a day when all of a sudden the next generation comes behind and they're like, I'm tired of your music, Pastor Brandon. We're like, what do we need to do? We want to be relevant and reach another generation. And at some point, that may not love it. I want to quickly close with a story of David and Saul. David's a young man. This is his first encounter with Saul who would eventually try to hunt him down. David has... uh, Already had his moment of anointing in chapter 16 as the next king. Goliath. If you're familiar with the story of it, David and Goliath. Goliath has been taunting. And he's been hollering out. And he's like, look, I'm the biggest, baddest thing anybody's ever seen. Nine foot plus tall, huge warrior man. Goliath actually means beheader. Okay, it's not just his name. His mama didn't name him that in his crib. He earned that. Okay. And um. So here's Goliath, Beheader, out there. And here's little David. And so nobody wants to go fight Beheader one-on-one. Nobody wants to go fight him. So this goes on for 40-something days, the taunting, the ridicule, all this stuff. And David comes in to bring some bread and some cheese and to check on his brothers. And he overhears it, and it ticks him off. How dare this guy talk about are God and God's people like this. Who's going to whoop him? And they're all like freaking out. So he's like, man, I'll do it. And they're like, what, are you crazy? So finally word gets back to King Saul. And King Saul's like, nobody else is even has enough courage to do it. At least this kid has some courage. And so Saul enters this place where he's going to give David permission. But let's watch this. <clears throat> Paul, this is, we're going to catch in verse thirty-seven, where David's kind of giving his speech on why he thinks, because he's basing this on what God's already done. It says the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, He's already whooped a lion, and the paw of a bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul told, <clears throat> and then Saul told to David, go, and the Lord be with you. He gave him permission, go do it, but then. He wanted to change things right quick. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Basically Saul going, if I was as courageous as you, which obviously I'm not because I'm sitting back here and sending out a little boy to fight this guy. But I would put all this armor on. I'd put my armor on. So here you go. You're going to go do it. Put all my armor on and now you can go out there and try to do it. So David fastened all the sword over his tunic and he tried to walk around. So he's got this big man's armor on and he can't move. It's burdening him down. And he says, I can't go in these. And he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. They're not my preference. So he took them off and he took his staff. He took his stick that he used on the bear and the lion. And his five smooth stones he went and picked up. I only needed one. And he goes out with his sling and his staff and no armor. And his faith in God. And he takes down the beheader. But that previous generation wanted to shackle him with all of the way they would do it. Man, as parents. Man, we need to sit there and go, man, God, you've got a unique plan for this kid. As a church go, God, you've got a unique plan for this next generation. It's not going to violate any of the principles of the word. But you know what? Their preferences may be different than our preferences. And we need to pour into them and empower them. Not just give them permission, but go ahead and let them even have some say in some of the preferences and really move forward and make a difference. As we're mentoring our kids, we pull in the preferences. I mean, pull in the principles. And give room on the preferences. See, we must choose to embrace the assignment to help the next generation to know God better and to trust Him more. And as we do this, and I'm telling you what, God's always so faithful. Man, David went further and did more than any of his predecessors, that Saul, before him. And, man, I'm telling you, we have to be willing to do this. I want us to create a quiet moment right here. And every week we want to make sure that if you're on the outside looking in on this, if you say, Brandon, I'm, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm not a believer. I'm not right with God. I don't know if if I'm heaven ready, then we can fix that right now. Because what Jesus did was enough. His death is our death, his life is our life, and the Bible says if we'll. Uh, confess with our mouths, believe in our heart, then we will be saved. So I want us to just create a quiet moment right here. And if that's you, I want you to just slip your hand up. You say, Brandon, I I believe that and I want that.